Good morning. It is really great to be back. Whenever one gets an introduction that generous, I'm reminded of an old New Yorker cartoon that's on the refrigerator of my uh, house in New Hampshire, and it shows two men standing in hell, the flames licking up around them, and one guy says to the other, apparently my over 200 screen credits didn't mean a damn thing. I, many years ago, made a film on the history of the Statue of Liberty, uh, not just the story of its construction, but the deep symbolism and meaning behind the statue. And I had the great good fortune to meet and interview a man named Vartan Gregorian, who was then the president of the New York Public Library. Uh, after an extremely interesting and passionate uh, interview on the meaning behind the statue for an immigrant like him from Tabriz, Iran, Vartan took me on a long and fascinating tour of the miles of stacks of the New York Public Library. Uh, finally, after galloping down one claustrophobic corridor after another, he stopped and gestured widely. This, he said, surveying his own library from its guts, this, he said, is the DNA of our civilization. It was a wonderful thing to say, and as I look and come back after more than a decade away at this extraordinary uh, Academy of Achievement, I am struck that you have to add that, this institution, uh, to the list of the DNA of our civilization that is storing and encoding what we value most, uh, what we hope that will mutate into betterness uh, for our citizens and our posterity. Uh, many years ago, I was thinking about making a film uh, on the most cataclysmic event in American history, and I stumbled across a speech uh, made by a young lawyer, 29 years old, uh, uh, before a group of his colleagues at the Young Men's Lyceum. And he said, whence shall we expect the approach of danger? Shall some transatlantic giant step the earth and crush us at a blow? And then he answered his own question, never. All the armies of Europe and Asia could not by force take a drink from the Ohio River or make a track in the Blue Ridge in the trial of a thousand years. If destruction be our lot, we must ourselves be its author and finisher. As a nation of free men, he said, we will live forever or die by suicide. Uh, that young man, that young lawyer was Abraham Lincoln, and he would go on to preside over the closest this country has ever come to near national suicide. But embedded in his rather chilling and completely accurate remarks is an essential optimism that blessed with two relatively benign neighbors, north and south, and two magnificent oceans, the mainland of the United States has existed in a kind of force field from when the British burned the White House in the War of 1812 to September 11th, 2001. And I realized at that point how much the study of history is absolutely critical to our understanding where we are. Harry Truman said the only thing that's really new is the history you don't know. He is absolutely right. And I have endeavored uh, most of my professional life in trying to make the present past. The past itself is gone. We can all be rightfully suspicious of nostalgia and sentimentality, the great enemies of good history, the great enemies of good reasoning. But history is the set of questions we in the present ask of the past. And while I cannot change the outcome of the Battle of Gettysburg on that third day, I can study and learn new facts, and more important, by the questions 
I ask in the present, I can learn ever more about who we are. And in essence, I realize that I have, over the last 25 years, been making the same film over and over again, asking one deceptively simple question, who are we? That is to say, who are these strange and complicated people who like to call themselves American? Each project helps to deepen that question and never ever answers it and with each succeeding project makes that question resonate a little bit more, a little bit better and helps me understand, I hope by transference helps the rest of us understand the great uh, questions that we have. After I had finished the Civil War, the most defining moment in American history, uh, I had come to see and many of the scholars that we spoke to had insisted I had uh, the opportunity to interview Gerald Early, who is a distinguished uh, writer uh, and chairman of the African American Studies Department at Washington University in St. Louis. And he said that when they study our American civilization, 2,000 years from now, which is, of course, ladies and gentlemen, a very long time. When they study our American civilization 2,000 years from now, Americans will be known for only three things. The Constitution, baseball, and jazz music. He said they're the three most beautiful things Americans have ever created. I was in the middle of making a film about baseball and suddenly realized as I had been trying to convince my friends that didn't you see the story of baseball was a sequel to the Civil War because the first real progress in civil rights after the Civil War had been the arrival of Jackie Robinson on a ball field in 1947 and not at a lunch counter, not on a city bus in Birmingham, not in a school in Topeka, Kansas or South Carolina, but on the diamonds of our so-called national pastime, and I was trying to convince uh, my friends and my funders and my audience that a way to understand what we had become after this defining moment of the Civil War, we could find just as easily, not through a political military narrative, which always passes for American history, but for this complicated story of this wonderful and exquisite national pastime of ours. And hearing uh, Professor Early's words, which tend to put the smile on the face of the listener, I realized that he was absolutely correct and I was in fact in the middle part of a trilogy that would occupy 17 years of my life and would re necessitate my trying to come to terms uh, with the story of jazz in the United States for all of the same reasons that carried in the wake of these two great subjects, uh, baseball and jazz, one could find out a social history of the United States after the Civil War. And I realized that I then spent 17 years fulfilling uh, that wonderful requirement of, of Gerald Early's. I think what he was saying is that the genius of America is improvisation. That the Civil War, the Constitution's greatest test, baseball, every culture has this children's stick and ball game, but in ours it has transformed itself into this wonderful, wonderful game with infinite chess-like combinations and at the heart of the only art form Americans have created is this idea that I do not have to play the notes on the page but that I can play what I feel and together with what you feel we can create art and how wonderfully ironic that it comes from a segment of the population who has the peculiar experience of being unfree in a supposedly free land. Unfree in a supposedly free land. And then we go back to that constitution. Four pieces of parchment written at the end of the 19th century that's able to adjudicate our most complicated problems in this, the new 21st century, except Florida, 
my apologies to the uh, uh, justice. Uh, <laughs> we are an improvisational person, and when Mr. Matthews asked the question about the pursuit of happiness, he was right on it. We could have enshrined in our declaration life, liberty, and property, as John Locke has, as the cornerstone of a free society, and instead we insisted on the pursuit of happiness, and we've debated what's What's that meant ever since? You know, is happiness the pursuit of uh, pleasures in a marketplace of things, or is it, as I think Jefferson intended, a perfection of oneself in a marketplace of ideas? And I think the key to our success of a, as a country has not even been the word happiness, but the verb pursuit. We are always tilting towards it. We are saying to all who would listen, we are corrigible. Every other nation on earth sees itself as an end in and of itself. We in America are unusually willing to change. Uh, I mean, if you've ever met a Frenchman, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we are corrigible, and we have the great gift of being in the process of becoming. I thank you, and in our couple minutes left, we'd love to uh, entertain some questions. Yes, sir. Uh, John Cogbill, Kennedy School of Government. Uh, first, I'd just like to thank you for the, the gifts that you've given us through your works and your documentaries. Thank you. Uh, not just to Americans, but to the world. Uh, if you accept the premise that Americans are uh, generally not very good at knowing our own uh, American history, uh, what can we do differently in our school systems to correct this problem? Uh, you've hit the, the nub of the, the problem. Um, we are a country suffering from an incredible uh, historical amnesia. I'm now working on a, a huge, massive series on the Second World War, and one of the reasons that prompted me to do it was the statistic uh, that I learned recently that 40% of graduating high school seniors, that is, clutching their diploma, walking off the podium, believe we fought with the Germans against the Russians in the Second World War. 40% of graduating high school seniors. And there's a couple of you know, culprits in all of this. One is obviously teachers. We have forgotten uh, to teach history. We have forgotten to tell where we've been. The fashions of the academy have insisted that narrative, and the word history is mostly made up of the word story, that narrative is no longer important, that we have to focus on relevance and contemporary things, and we become so focused on uh, micro-perceptions and demographics that history now sounds like the reading of the telephone book. And the other great enemy is my profession, television. All meaning accrues in duration in this world. The work that you and I are proudest of, the relationships we're proudest of, benefit from our sustained attention. And how can you talk to people about attention when you interrupt every six minutes to sell them six or eight other things and convince them overall that if they just smell the right way, buy the right car and the right jeans, everything will be all right. Everything will not be all right and we need to fall back on whatever it is that can sustain us, our faith, whatever it is that stitches us together, this common uh, agreement that we in Americans have, unlike any other country on earth that's there because of conquest, politics, religion, color of skin, geography, we're here because we agree to assent to certain ideas, and that gets atrophied, and the great history that has brought us to that moment gets ha atrophied in a media culture that is so consumed with an all-consuming and thereby forgettable present. Thank you. Thank you.